0: So let's cut right into
1: the you Thank you. Thank you. Um, first of all, just to let you know, I am recording this. I like to record my talks and publish them on my blog. So if you you know, want to make a comment, just make sure that you don't say anything that you'll regret uh, if it ends up on the recording. But um, this is my first time attending a conference where there's a lot of academics. And I feel like uh, this is a great opportunity. First of all, I've quoted from several of you already in like, blog posts that I've previously written, and uh, you've done amazing research that's you know, pretty informative. Um, but I also feel like there's a kind of uh, a similarity. I, I feel like I'm a curious person who likes to ask questions, and academics are the same way, the curious people who have questions. And this talk is, is about trends, and I'm wondering what the trends are. For some reason, a lot of people look at bloggers as kind of like people who write about trends. It's a sort of a, a thing I often get asked about, and I hadn't really written much about trends. But this past year, I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to this desire for info on trends and try to write something or try to present something that's more data-driven, not just a speculative kind of, oh, I think we're going to have chatbots, and oh, I think we're going to... Um, I'll be content strategists, you know? No, I wanted to really dive deep into trends, and so I turned to some research and other things to try to become more informed about it. But first of all, let's just back up a little bit and ask this initial question. Why do trends intrigue us? Um, If you look at some major companies that used to be the dominant players in their space, uh, Kodak, BlackBerry, Blackberry, Borders, Blockbuster. One day, they just sort of disappeared. You know, you, all of a sudden, Blockbuster was no longer a thing, and then, and then Borders Books, uh, no longer a thing. What happened to these companies? And a lot of people say, well, they they had some initial success, but they failed to continue innovating. They didn't really anticipate the need that they'd have to keep, um, you know, disrupting their own innovations in order to stay on top. Now, technical writers, this is a job function, not a company, but is there the possibility that one day we, too, become like the the Betamax and other technologies that are outdated? (laughs) People look back and say, oh, yeah, I remember when we had this technical writer role. You know, what happened to that? Um, Or just in the job market, right? We want to find out what do we need to do to stay on top of the job market and not wake up one day and realize that nobody wants to hire us, our role is diminished, don't have the right skills. You know How do we anticipate what's in need five years down the line, 10 years down the line, and stay on top of that? Well, I wanna start with the really, uh, of course, as a blogger, I'll start with the most provocative point possible. Um, <clears throat> there was a podcast with Ellis Pratt, with Cherry Leaf, that I really like, and Ellis is talking about, um, this guy named Jim Gray, who wrote a blog post saying that the technical writing field is dying. Apparently, Jim, and I don't know him, I shouldn't be so cavalier. He uh, did a lot of interviews with different startup companies, and he found that most of them, they had UX designers, not necessarily technical writers. Um, And he sort of concluded that this is the future. People are putting money into the UX design. They don't want to have products that require a bunch of documentation. They want to have simple products. We're going to hire a UX designer to get it right. You know, And this is what companies are doing to succeed. So he decided, you know what, I'm going to become a, a different role. I'm going to move out of Techcom. And it prompts this long-held thread that we keep seeing come up every now and then. Is technical writing a dying career? Um, and of course, I'm kind of focusing in on technical writing in the broader spectrum of technical communication, but that 's my perspective. What is the impact of this increased UX design on the need for documentation and technical writers? How do we know how do we know how can we evaluate jim gray 's assertion well, Ellis Pratt says now Ellis Pratt runs a recruiting agency, so he 's constantly hunting for tech writers and working with companies to fill them. He also does training and other things. But he says, I think there's a truth in saying that the role of the technical author is changing and the requirements and the skills that they need are changing as well. And 92% of people agree with that. You'll see some of these um, agree, disagree sort of percentages. Uh, I polled people, I do lots of little Um, surveys on my blog, just finding out if people agree or disagree with things. Most people agree with this. Um, And you'd have to be kind of crazy to think that we weren't changing, I mean look at how fast the technology landscape is changing. New technologies, (coughs) new companies, new spaces, nothing is staying the same, right? So of course technical writing is, is changing, but the big question is towards what? What are we changing towards to? What are we becoming? What are we evolving? Uh, uh, towards? And how do we know if we're going in a positive direction or if we're slipping into oblivion? Um, Now, there's great data in the Bureau of Labor Statistics, or BLS, that, that reports employment numbers. And this is the most startling slide I think I have. If you look at the BLS data from 2010 to 2016, here on the left, tech writer jobs have grown about 2,000 in number. Um, BLS has a category of technical writers, I'm sure you've seen this, where they provide lots of details about it. And if if you go back and look at previous versions of their site, you can see the numbers don't really change a whole lot. The growth rate is only 6%. Contrast this with software developer jobs. Now, there's lots of different jobs in IT, but in general, the software developers create a demand and a need for documentation. So uh, they, in 2012, had 913,000 jobs in the US. This is just restricted to the US. And in 2016, they had uh, 1,256,000. Their growth rate is 37.5%. So. You know, the answer to the question, are technical writers, uh, you know, are we, are we dying out? Well, no, we've grown 6%, right? But in proportion to the number of developers, we're shrinking. It's kind of like if you go in for your annual merit increase and your boss says, we've decided to give you a pay raise of 1%, and you're like, uh, thanks. Uh, you know, the cost of living has increased 3%, so it's kind of a pay cut. It's the same, same uh, logic, right? Where like the ratios are getting more and more disproportionate and more lopsided. To put this into a teacher perspective, let's say you have three classes you teach this year. Well, next year you're gonna teach four classes and maybe in five years you're gonna teach five classes and then so forth and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You support more and more students or you support more and more engineers. We're still above the average overall growth rate. If you look at their projections, uh, we're 11% uh, projected to grow from 2016 to 2026. So that's good. And their advice is that job opportunities, especially for applicants with technical skills are expected to be good. And that's the theme I'm gonna come back to. What, What exactly are the effects of this growing disproportion? this lopsidedness between technical writers and engineers. When you have this growing number of developers and the technical writers kind of stay the same, what happens? Well, first is that you end up being pulled and and spread thin. You're You're this guy who's got like five or six different teams that all need documentation. Some of them aren't gonna get it because you just don't have enough bandwidth. They're gonna have to figure out what they do. Um, You really kind of, spread thin in so many different ways. Um, I did a poll on my site. The number of engineers I support seems to be growing each year, making the ratio of tech writers to engineers more lopsided. 41% agree, 35% strongly agree. So now, granted, these, these polls and surveys are informal, and you know there are people who read my blog, so maybe it's somewhat self-selective, but when you compare this with these other BLS ratios, can see that, yeah, there's a real trend going on here with the ratios between tech writers and engineers. Um, one One of the things that I find the most frustrating about this is that the more teams you support, the less immersion you have to ramp up with the technology of each of these teams. I mean, already tech writers are kind of like these outsiders to projects. You you don't usually attend all their sprint meetings and other meetings, you kind of come in as needed. But now you're even more of an outsider and you're more novice to the technology because you don't have this period of weeks and months to ramp up on all this technology. Um, I did a poll asking uh, people, how much time do you actually spend learning technology? Average is 20 to 30 minutes a day. A lot of people just don't spend any time at all. So, you know, the more engineering teams you support, assuming that these engineering teams have diverse technologies, one might be one might require knowledge of XML, another knowledge of Java, another knowledge of C, another knowledge of something totally different. You know, farther the farther you are spread thin, the less deep you can go with each of those. Um, all right. Before jumping into the next one, uh, the ratios are one thing, but there's another force that is also kind of constant. Um, I, I, I really like this approach that people have taken, uh, the academics who have done research about trends often look at job ads as one potential way to have a barometer of trends. Because if, if people aren't hiring for a skill, is it really that important? Um, and there's a couple of studies that I think were really helpful. One by Brumberger and Lair in 2013, where they look at, I don't know, a thousand or so job ads and do the special coding to try to figure out how to categorize them. It looks like a nightmare to try to sort through all this. Um, and of course, in techcom, the research tends to be and into many different roles. I'm only really interested in the tech writer editor. And among that category, um, you can see that 45% wanted subject matter familiarity. 49% project planning and management and so forth. Uh, so it gives you a good idea of what are people after. Another study, this one by Clinton Lanier, who we have among us, uh, in 20, or 2009, looking at data a couple years back, uh, did something similar. Um, he had a restricted scope of looking for jobs that, were, that had the title technical writer, limited to about two years of experience or less, he found that 33% wanted subject matter experience, 34% subject matter writing experience. You know, this is a, a constant theme in, in job ads. We want people who know the technology, right? This is the tech skill. Um, and in these job analysis analyses, there's this, this dilemma that keeps resur- surfacing about whether to be a generalist or a specialist. And the people who are on the generalist side say, well, you can pivot to different job categories. You can wake up one day and say, you know, I really want to become like an SEO expert or a social media manager or a grant writer. You know, you can do that if you're a generalist. Um, But there's another camp that says specialization opens doors, right? If you know C, you're going to get the job, even if you don't have much experience. The dilemma is, if you are supporting more and more engineers, as the disproportionate ratios suggest, then how do you possibly specialize? You can't just say, "Uh, I'm only going to learn one technology, because then you wouldn't be able to support the many different engineering teams. So there's tension between being a generalist, because you have to support so many, but the need for specialized technical skills in order to be valuable in the market is really a tension that is kind of pulling tech writers in in uncomfortable ways. I want to give an example here. Oh, by the way, another poll I took on my site. Subject matter familiarity is a key requirement in a lot of the tech jobs I've looked at. It seems employers often want me to know XYZ technologies right from the start. 45% agree, 22% strongly agree. Uh, Some people are not sure. Here's an example. This is a job that we've got at Amazon. It's not in my group, but it's a a team that has a bunch of IoT devices, Internet of Things devices that are trying to get somebody to document all the SDKs uh, that are C++ SDKs. They want somebody to document all of these for developers to uh, connect Amazon services and all these primitive devices. And so they're looking for somebody who's got you know good grounding of C++ in addition to writing skills, of course, and also the ability to be articulate and presentable and, and communicate well in meetings. And this, this sort of person doesn't really exist. Uh, they, this is only one of many different job ads where, where people, are like, people, people who have the job know that, yeah, we need this writer to know this language and also possess good writing skills and you think you'd get a flood of resumes because oh you're you're a big name company, but but no, you are a rare bird in that area, especially when you when you make on-site work a requirement, right? Not not opening it up to remote. Um, there's there's a scenario I like to throw out that uh, really really has people mixed. Let's say that you're a hiring manager for that position, right? Uh, the one that I was just describing with C++, and you've got a candidate who's got Good technical knowledge, um, and his writing—his sk- or her writing skills—are they're okay. They're not great, but they're passable. And you've got another candidate who's actually a great writer, but they don't really know C++ very well at all. Who do you hire? This is a question. Um, people are so polarized, and like I've asked this in a, a number of other places where I've given similar presentations, and. And uh, my, my feeling is that engineers pretty much align with the tech side. And people who are more, uh, I don't know, pro-language will make a, a case for the other. But from what I can see in, in discussions about hiring candidates, the tech is crucial. You know, if somebody doesn't have that foundation, they just don't really make the bar. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, um, it's kind of sad. It's, because you could theoretically learn C++ after a few months on the job, um, whereas writing may not be a skill you can learn in a few months. But uh, that is sort of the trend that I'm seeing, is like the tech matters 70% and the writing 30%, and it's just sort of assumed that you have it. Anyway, because writing is sort of dumbed down to wordsmithing only, uh, people start to hybridize their job titles. It's no longer cool to be a writer, a technical writer, you have to be a technical writer slash editor slash content strategist slash information architect slash project manager. You gotta do something to snazz it up because writing alone just does not sell. Um, all right, so uh, what do we do about this, right? This, this constant need for technical skills, the need to support growing numbers of engineers in a generalist way where you have to cover lots of technical domains. With a little bandwidth, what do you, people need to succeed? How do you how do you navigate this world? I have three strategies that I think are worthwhile. One is to increase your tech knowledge. Um, uh, I pr- I have this little app called Focus. This works for me. This is the Pomodoro method, which is like after the tomato timer, and you you sit down and for 20 minutes or 25 minutes, you just focus on trying to learn something. When I'm when I'm in the the, the task of documenting something. I'll write down things that I'm, I want more information about, I'm unclear about, I'm like, oh, it'd be good to know that. And then, when I have this little focus session, I'll try to do three in the morning. I'll go through all those things that I need to know and try to ramp up on them. Um, and I found that if I don't do this the first thing in the morning, then I rarely do it at all. Um, but it makes a huge difference, because without knowledge, you really can't write. Um, it's just impossible, you end up playing more of an editorial publishing role, which is fine, but it's not really like the sweet spot that engages you with writing. Um, the second one, the second strategy is to empower engineers to contribute. We implemented a system at our work that I call Docsys Code. That's kind of the, where you treat documentation like code. It's pretty common in developer shops. Um, but it basically means people write in Markdown they use Git to manage the content. Um, they push their content into a certain branch, and uh, a server will build that content and push it through uh, to a publishing workflow. We built a Jekyll theme for this. Um, basically, if you have a bunch of engineering teams that you can't support, right? you have to give them some way to author. And are they going to jump up and down to write in DITA? No. Um, they want to write in Markdown. I, I have this engineering survey uh, just specifically targeting engineers, and they say, when I engage in documentation efforts, I prefer to treat documentation like software. 55% strongly agree, 35% agree. This is why almost all of these big developer shops Facebook, Microsoft, Google, uh, Amazon the d- among the developer content, not necessarily the end user mainstream docs. They have adopted some form of tooling like this that allows engineers to contribute using their own tools, their own workflows, because, you know, if they, if they know Git, that's how they, that's how they manage software. It comes second nature to them. Um, and we've done this at my work. We empowered some teams, and they, they're able to write content. Um, the Login with Amazon group, for example, it's a big feature, no writers for it. So they just uh, sort of handle it themselves. We, we gave them permissions gave them a, I didn't even give them a tutorial, they just figured it out, um, and they're able to get going. The third strategy, I think, is to develop project management skills. This isn't really a topic I've ever talked about, uh, but I've come to the increasing realization that I have no idea how to say no to people. Um, I'm used to promising them that yes, of course, your docs will be done at the date you want them, and they'll be complete and awesome. And then realize that, wait a minute, what they want is way more complicated, it's gonna take way more time, and I've got like four other groups that all want the same thing. Figuring out how to navigate that and say, well, no, or yes, but we're gonna have to, you know, push it through a contractor, or yes, but you're gonna have to write it and I'll help you edit it or something. Um, This kind of project management takes on a new level of difficulty when you have lots more stuff to manage. I mean, imagine if you had, Six classes all, all of a sudden, and you had you know twice as many students suddenly, you know managing your time must begin to be a paramount sort of importance for success. Um, sometimes maybe you you are the writer, and other times you're just the project manager we you know i I've, I've been realizing that uh empowering other people to write can be super helpful. We had a developer evangelist on our team and rolled him into a technical writer role and I've offloaded projects to him and he's able to plug in without too much um, effort on the tooling side and start to be productive. All right, so if you want more info, I have a site. Um, this is actually like a subsite. It's sort of a hobby project, a series of essays on simplifying complexity. And this one is principle 11, be both a generalist and a specialist at the same time. So if you want, you can read more there. And uh, there's also a survey. If you'd like to kind of give your input on this ongoing topic, um, you can jump in there as well. That's also on that same, it's at the end of this as well. All right, now I think we're into question time. All right, Lisa had her hand up first and then Dan. <laughs> so um thank you for
2: this. Um it's very reassuring to hear that words that keep coming out of my mouth, coming out of the mouth of somebody else who
0: knows
1: this because I get refuted a lot. Oh no no, that's not right. So
0: what's interesting to me when you're kind of coming into the Department of Labor Statistics and talking about like where the Delta you've got like
1: a, an expansion of role of developers and then Yeah. Do you want me to go back to that? Well, well, this, yes. Okay. Am I seeing an impact in offshoring because of, because of the shortage of labor? And maybe that you're saying maybe in the US there's not an expansion of tech writers but in other countries? That's an interesting uh, idea and that could explain what, the disparity of data. I've wondered what about other roles, project managers, testers? Are they not also, are they expanding at the same rate as software developers and if not, how are they handling it? That's something I haven't looked into. But as far as offshoring, I actually haven't seen more trends, at least in my own space. I think that, I think that a while, a, a number of years ago, that was a popular idea and it sort of fizzled. I think people realized that it was really working as well as they thought. So I, that said, um, <laughs> there are a lot of engineers who definitely, like half of Silicon Valley is people from India and Asia, well, it's like powering all these companies. So it's definitely like a, a labor force that's international. Um, but, but whether the number of technical writers in the, in that, I, I really don't know. Uh, wait, then it was Dan, then, then you, then you. This might be
3: naive because I'm
1: an academia, but can you describe, what, a merit-raise? What is that again? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> what? Merit, based on performance
2: you get. Oh, oh, merit.
3: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I was say, a raise? Is that discourse? <laughs> <laughs> My serious question is, you're, you're an academic advisor, you've got an undergrad who's interested in tech writing. They come to you and say, should I double major in English and something else? Your answer really would
1: well. be Should you double major in English and something else? A hundred percent, yes. Like, they, they really should have, I mean, honestly, technical writers should be required to have a technical track that complements their writing track because people can have degrees, experience, you can have 20 years of experience, but if you don't know the technology, psh, Next, you know, it's and it's crazy. That's just the, the, the sentiment that tech is prioritized so much. If you, if you look at the reverse, let's say you have like a, a month of experience, but you know like C++ really well, you're you're golden. Like in the bar for writing, let's have them write a one page answer to a essay question. If it looks, you know, coherent, grammatical, and, and not embarrassing, that's probably good enough, you know? So it's kind of unfortunate because I think, I think also a lot of people who hire maybe don't know how to judge writing. They're like, they don't really know what good docs look like. I've had managers, the same role, come up to me and they're like, or, or a similar role, they're like, we don't really know how, how, like, how to create great documentation or how to even work with the technical writer. Um, uh, you know, they, they know that, oh, we need code samples, and it needs to be accurate and complete, and probably we need tutorials. But how you pull that all together and provide search and navigation and, and uh, visibility and, and answer all the questions is, is something a lot of people don't know. Don't know. So that's maybe why they're, they're more inclined to just check a box and say knows this, knows that, knows this, because writing is much more nebulous. It's hard to evaluate. But um, at the same time, you know, with this simple writing assessment, People, people trip over themselves and get rejected, as well, for just uh, not approaching it well. But, it, but it's harder to assess. OK.
2: So I have a question about this slide, actually. So um, technical writing isn't always called that. It goes by a million names, information developer, uh, yeah. process developer, documentation specialist. So is that, does that data come from technical writer or an all encompassing like a broad circle of all the things that they may
1: be called? So you're saying that maybe the lack of numbers on the tech writing side is because now they're called information developer and content strategist and other things. Well, the um, STC salary database tries to uh, address this point. Um, I believe the BLS pulls the HR groups at companies um, and, even if somebody calls themselves a, a content strategist, in the HR books, they're often still a technical writer. So I, I, I don't know the extent, but the, the STC salary database seems fairly confident in their numbers, which are the same. They pull from here. Uh, but yeah, that could be a reason why, why there's not more. And that's a totally valid point. And I don't really know how you would evaluate that. I think in... Um, In some of the research on job ads, it's the same problem, right? How do you classify a job ad as a technical writer? Well, this one's a a content strategist, and now content strategist could mean like SEO copywriter for a uh, you know content farm, or it could mean like a director of content in a really high way. So um, I think we we have to just uh, look and see the role description. Anyway, good point. That
0: was what I was. like you said, like the job titles have to change so to the current, yeah. and so we're not calling ourselves technical writers and the organizations might
1: not either. Well, this is why I try to, try to back it up with a little bit of supporting polls and surveys as, a, as informal as they are, if they sort of resonate with other things, it adds more support. I mean, if, if the general gist among the tech writing groups is that yeah, we seem to get, be supporting more and more teams every year and the BLS data shows similarly, there's probably credence to that. Um, but I think it's, I think this is the most fascinating trend, uh, the disproportion, the growing disproportion. I wanted to change the title of it, but I didn't want to make changes late in the game. Uh, this growing disproportion is only going to get more and more interesting. Because if you, I mean, what other field is growing at 37%? And who knows if it will grow faster, I mean, as technology seems to compound and escalate. but. When you look at that, like things have to give. You're not going to be able to have a tech writer for every team. We already don't have this at, at Amazon. Been told, look, we can't hire armies of technical writers for all these products. You have to lean on these these teams to produce the documentation. But these teams, they know nothing about like publishing docs. They'll write in a wiki and try to create a PDF that will look terrible. Um, you know, they they don't know how to do basic publishing of docs, and that was. I believe that was like the initial specialization of the tech writer is to handle professional publishing. Um, but just the other, the other, just constraint when you have this this proliferation of engineering teams is that tech writers can't cover all of them with the depth that you want. I had this post about how do you become a 10x tech writer, somebody who's like, you know, the the rock star tech writer who can just go in and do a bang up job with the docs. Well, if you Aren't immersed in the technology? Good luck. Um, And without that immersion, you're never going to produce, you know, quality content. Michael.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing I thought of 15 years ago, and it kind of plays in here. Is some of it has, of course, has to do with return on investment. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, your software manager wants to have 150 people (laughs) working under him, and of course, the CEO doesn't want any people there. So they massage the numbers and they agreed at 35 versus the writers, you know, where they don't want to have any of them either, but eventually you get one. But if at some point you can convince the CEO it's going to help his bottom line to have 20 writers, watch them get hired <laughs> overnight.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's like uh, the, the, the sort of attrition of tech writers speaks to our inability to persuade management about uh, our effectiveness and, and the value we, we add. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, a lot of tech tech writing groups are just hodgepodge coupled in with another group. You're part of you're part of marketing, you're part of accounting or whatever. Right. It's like you, you don't have this power to really go with the uh, the hiring decisions or, or at least people don't have the skill as much as is needed it's for sure. Many of
3: are I will say clerical positions that are taking whatever the engineers send them, reformat them, correct the grammar, and publish it. Yeah. Basically with whatever they send, whether it's good writing, well, clean up the writing a little bit, but if the content is hopelessly flawed, then that's okay. Yeah. It looks perfect.
1: I have this other question on my engineering survey um, to engineers. Would you rather read content written by an engineer, even if it's written poorly, or by a technical writer? <laughs> I'm still getting the results. That one's quite mixed. There's, there's nobody aligning there. Lisa, or wait, Clint, I haven't heard from you.
2: Uh, I was just going to mention um, in the last kind of survey that I, that I did, the respondents indicated that a growing trend in industry user-generated documentation. And we've been seeing that, I think for a while, I mean, that there's, there's no gatekeeper to create a blog or mm. to forums and so forth. And oftentimes, if you have a question <coughs> excuse me, about technology, you're doing a natural language search on Google versus looking up user docs, right? Mm. And the hits are coming off of forums, user-generated forums. Uh, for example, if I have a question mm. about my iOS device, and I type the question into Google, well, what happens? I'll get a uh, stack of this or something like that versus the Apple.com um, yeah. information. Um, huh. And I think as, as you see a growth, again, according to the, this last survey that did, there, there might be something to that. As you see a growth in user generated documentation, um, perhaps more companies, especially small companies, might rely more hmm. and more on that. Um, that's an interesting point. That's, yeah. that's one point. The second is the. The increase in, in technological literacy by the user. Mm. You know, uh, the last time we any of us had a user manual with with a piece of technology uh, that we purchased probably a while back because it was mm. unfamiliar at that time, right? But as we become more and more familiar with this type of technology, we require less and less documentation. Uh, yeah. For that technology, right? <coughs> so those are those are, are, those are good points. I had
1: from, from past research. So just to summarize, and also for my recording here. Uh, you're saying that a lot of the users have filled in the gaps with tutorials from blogs, forums, Stack Overflow. You don't necessarily need official technical writers as much as you may be used to.
2: not
1: say that. Might- <laughs> <laughs> well, it accounts for the, the fact that there's not this high demand as much, or I don't know. The, information, the, information- the information's there, it's good enough, people are finding it. And then the, other, the other point about uh, technology skills increasing, maybe people don't. They don't need to rely on as many manuals, and people are getting more savvy with their designs to remove the need for this. Actually, I cut out a whole section of my presentation on this argument that the technology landscape is getting more and more complex, at least in the developer space, which is driving up the value of technical knowledge, because I it's too difficult to try to find support for that. <laughs> yes?
0: Um my dissertation on agile documentation ah. and um, the problem is with the diminishment of documentation that I found was that the uh, while the traditional way of programming became agile the traditional way of documentation didn't change so you have programmers fleets of programmers who are programming in agile and they're all trying to hammer their heads against the wall trying to produce traditional documentation, which doesn't work. So when I was going around as a, trying to interview uh, software programmers, I felt often like a priest accepting confession because <laughs> programmers would confess to me, uh, I, I don't document, and <laughs> everywhere I went. and and they, they use Git and they use all of those different methods as the only remaining artifacts of what used to be documentation and uh, it's possible that the, I, I don't, this is where my question comes in, <laughs> how do you feel about that as an account for that um, discrepancy between the growth of programmers versus the uh, 6% growth of technical writers that there are so many programmers that feel that documentation, technical write is incompatible with Agile methodology.
1: Um, I actually have a lot of thoughts on the whole topic of Agile. Um, I'm not sure if they really address your question. So let me just kind of share what I'm thinking about Agile, and then we'll, we'll go from there. But I think they are incompatible with Agile. Because when, when you're a tech writer on a, on a team, they want to know when the docs are going to be done. And they have to be done by the time they're releasing, otherwise the project goes into red status and people freak out.
0: Or the docs are already obsolete.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, the, but the software engineering teams, I guess they have a release date too, but they sort of, you know, the idea of Agile is that you, you prioritize your tasks and you work on them for two weeks and then you show what you've accomplished. Well, what if I said that about docs and said, well, I, t- I tackled the most important task, and this is how far I got. And uh, you know, how long is this going to take? I don't know. We'll see in another two weeks, and then we'll see in another two weeks. And how long can I keep this up before they're like, "No, you got to finish by this date." So we're f- sort of forced into a waterfall to scope project and say, "Well, I've got s- five projects, and this one looks really hard, and this is easy, and I need to organize them on a calendar." So I'm going to break down the tasks waterfall fails, nobody can predict this. So this is why the project management thing comes into focus because now you suddenly have to be a project manager with a waterfall methodology integrated into agile scrum teams that have a different cadence and workflow, you know, and it's like, it doesn't really fit. I've tried to integrate into the agile teams as a team member, doesn't work. They just, they don't, they're not really, you're not really part of the team because tech writers are are kind of like, uh, you're not, fully needed for the whole project. So you you come in as they near a release, and by that time you're not really, you know, you, you don't have the amount of points that you tackle every scrum and you don't have the need to, you know, do things like the other team members. It's hard to fit in. Some people manage to do it, yeah. but I think those those people are are more rare. They're they're uh, lucky enough to be, you know, dedicated to a couple of teams or something where they can have that full immersion. I'm sort of in a centralized doc group, so maybe the dy- dynamics are totally different.:
0: Yeah, to yeah, sure. It. Wait, somebody else had your <laughs> hand up. We have Some, time
1: for one, more one more question. question? Right, I haven't heard from you. go for it. Yeah. Uh not take out this
2: machine, but And they spend as little time on the typewriters. So even if you could empower the engineers,
1: even if you can empower the engineers, they, just, they still don't want to write. Yeah, actually this was another question in my engineering survey. I'm like, when you write docs, do you resent doing it and do you hate dislike it? And it was all over the map as well. And I don't have that many responses to this anyway, but uh The fact is, um, they sort of have to if there's no technical writing resource. Uh, One assumption in one of my other surveys um, was that they just don't have technical writers in their organization. Like, they're just expected to do it. In fact, a lot of developers are now expected to also do testing. They're like the full stack developer, they do everything. Um, So, whether they hate it or not is sort of beside the point if there isn't that role. But, yeah, I mean, I'm totally on board with the idea that it's a complete like waste of their resources and talent and and better use of their time would well, be much better I,
3: I can suggest that.
1: yeah yeah you're just saying that they don't because we
2: because we, teach, we, we, we can't imagine
1: that they want to do it. N- nobody wants to well i shouldn't say nobody wants to write docs that sounds terrible <laughs> <laughs> it's not usually a task that people are stepping up to do um but but yeah it it it. uh if, there's, if there is a publishing mechanism and a workflow set up, then at least you've given them the capability even if they don't have the, the motivation. And there are actually a number of engineers who've been so frustrated by bad tutorials that they become documentation converts and they, they want to do it. Twilio is a great example. These are people who have world-class documentation they're former engineers a lot of times who have just been frustrated by bad docs. So they, they do exist. but. Yeah, they're probably in the minority for sure. Thanks for your questions and uh, appreciate it. The what? The uh, bit.ly link at
2: the end, last
1: slide. You can find my slides. You can just go to I'd rather be writing. There we go. Trend Tom. Yeah, Trends Tom S C I I. If you go to i it's uh, the latest post has it in my slides, so you can easily find it there Thanks i yes